0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Wow, that was a really weak good morning. Yeah. All right, that's all right. Uh, th- thank you guys so much uh, for uh, lifting up my wife, Jamie, in prayers this week. Uh, he, as some of you know, last week I had to bow out last, last second because uh, she uh, ended up going in for surgery for uh, gallbladder removal. and uh, And so she's recovering well. But thank you. If you continue to lift her up in prayer... Uh, now that she's feeling, starting to feel better from her surgery, uh, she found out yesterday she has shingles, so, uh, so she's, yeah, I know, it's more, more pain for her. So anyway, uh, just continue to hold her up in prayer. Um, oh, Just a couple of housekeeping items. First of all, worship was amazing this morning. That was great. Thank you, worship team. That was really fantastic, yeah. Um, second of all, because I know it's hard to imagine a life lived outside of Facebook, um, I, I wanted to alert you all who are might who some of you who might be sitting there offended. I did not unfriend any of you. I unfriended all of you. All right. No, I didn't unfriend. Actually, I'm just off of Facebook. I actually deactivated my account. I'm clean, clean and sober from Facebook. No, it's all right. You don't have to. You don't have to hear that. Anyway, now no, it's just something I, I. Been toying around with love for the last few months, and and uh, finally decided it was something I didn't really necessarily need in my life anymore. Uh, every once in a while, I do Jones for it, but um, but anyway. So don't be offended if you don't find me on Facebook. I did not unfriend, I did not unfriend you. I'm just not there anymore. And um, but I am available in real life for you. <laughs> if you'd like to grab a cup of coffee, or just come by and see me, or. A phone call, we could use our phones for phone calls if you'd like to do that. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's novel. It's a novel idea, but we could do that. So anyway, uh, there's that. All right, well, we so so because of the interruption last week, our timeline of finishing up this uh, little book of the Bible that we've been in, First Thessalonians is kind of jacked up. So i I'm going to be hitting it today. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday. There's something different going on, uh, and then there's another interruption before the final week. So we will finish it, but it's going to be kind of uh, uh, chopped up a little bit. But but we'll get there. Uh, so go ahead and turn over to First Thessalonians chapter four if you want to follow along. First Thessalonians chapter four. If you're using one of the Bibles from the cart, it's page nine eighty seven, nine eighty seven. So the last week for those of you who either were not here or have. Uh, slept since then the la- two weeks ago when I uh, spoke uh, from First Thessalonians chapter four, the topic was about Paul encouraging us toward uh, sexual purity uh, lives of sexual purity, and the reason uh, for h- the reason that he gave for calling us to lives of sexual purity and and, and and we talked about how in the early church, sexual purity was a huge deal, a huge deal. It was one of the markers that the early church was known for. Even by like the Romans who, who uh, kind of did not like them, uh, like the Christians and, and didn't understand the whole movement and everything. One, they would uh, almost every single time a historian wrote about the Christians, they would remark on, you know, one thing I got to say about them is they are a sexually pure people. Like they, they, and, and they, they held that as, as something to be esteemed. I mean, it was something that they really uh, were impressed by. Right, so. Th- The reason Paul gives for that call to sexual purity is, as is the case with pretty much everything we're called to in Scripture, love. Love. We are called to sexual purity because we are called to live lives of love. And one of the ways that we love our neighbor well is by living sexually pure lives. Uh, We don't offend our neighbors with sexual impurity. We don't, uh, you know, potentially, uh, because of our uh, catting around, you know, uh, cause someone else to fall into adultery because mistakes we've made or whatever, you know, what we just don't. We 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 own, we honor our God by following His plan for our lives and His design for our lives, and we honor our neighbor and love our neighbor by also remaining sexually pure. And we talked we talked about that. So, on the tail end of this same chapter, Paul then goes into uh, one more more little paragraph, and we're just going to hit this little paragraph today. Uh, we were supposed to hit it at the end of the last sermon, but I, just, I, I ended up talking too long about sex. So First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, start with verse 9. Look at what he says here. He says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right? So there's a lot packed into this little paragraph, a lot packed in of, of again, kind of... Uh, part B of what we started last time, which is uh, how to love each other well. And here he instructs us in another way. There was the sexual purity thing, and he's going to st- instruct us in another way of how to love each other well. And there's, a, again, a lot packed into this little paragraph, so we're going to spend some time on it. Now, I don't know, like we talk some, I, I try not, we try not to, um, you know, some churches talk about money all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. We, we, I, I try not to, from a teaching standpoint, like hammer the idea of you got to be giving, you got to be giving, you got to be. Giving. Instead, what I try to do is just lead you to what Scripture says about the lives of generosity that we're called to, right? And, and so, as we work through passages of Scripture like this, we're eventually going to come upon something like this that's going to point us in this way. And you're like, "Where's generosity in this passage?" And and where it is is right there in the beginning, where he says, "Um." Concerning brotherly love, uh, nobody needs to write you about this because God's been teaching you about it. For He says, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And here what he's doing, he's making a reference to all the other churches who are being persecuted in the region that this church is in, in Macedonia. This church in Thessalonica has been very generous to support them to send them support, to send them aid, to send them encouragement, to to help them as they're being persecuted. The people of Thessalonica were a little bit wealthier than some of the other surrounding communities, and so they had a little bit more resources to share, and they were sharing that. And Paul says, continue doing that. In fact, do it more and more and more, right? And so he's calling them to this life of, of generosity. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of generosity, um but it's a it's a humbling experience to 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 do that it's it's um i grew up as a as a pastor's kid and um and so in my life we were my family was on the receiving end of generosity on an, on quite a few occasions right and so uh, in my own life especially Pardon me, especially kind of pre in life when I was a youth pastor. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but youth pastors don't make a whole lot of money. And, and so, like, I, there were several occasions where we were blessed by either people in the church or people in the community, you know, or whatever. Like, like I've been on the receiving end of generosity multiple occasions throughout my life, and I'm sure many of you have as well. And there's something very humbling about it. A very also that it's it's very uh, gratitude-inducing. Uh, to to go through something like that to to feel like wow God is really looking out for me and I, I've shared this story before but I remember one time when we were in uh, Missouri and this is when Molly and Isaiah were really little and we were financially strapped I mean we were we were really stressed out financially out of this one particular uh, you know few month period of our lives and uh, it reached a point to where we literally didn't know like like we needed groceries out of money. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And uh, I, rem- I can remember just kind of praying with Jamie about that and going, you know, God, we need you to come through for us in a big way. And, and the very next day, went out to the mailbox and somebody had uh, uh, dropped a, an anonymous envelope in our mailbox uh, with $500 in it. And I, I just remember going, oh, my gosh. I mean, just being, Again, it's anonymous, so I couldn't point to a person to give the credit to. It, it was, in my mind, from God because it, you know, it was such a direct answer to a prayer request. And, and I remember going back to the house, and, and, uh, and you know I was telling Jamie about it, and Molly and Isaiah being small, they overheard it. And, and, uh, and they were like, where did that money come from? And, and uh, I was like, God, God, God. Sent this to us, you know, and and so then the very next day they they you know after the mailman drives by they're all like hey let's go out to the mailbox see if God's any more money right I mean they're just they're like God does that through the mail now I can see in their eyes you know and so but I just remember feeling that just enormous sense of of gratitude of that God was in control that He was taking care of us that that even though yes this this obviously came from a person. You know it 's not like God wrote the check or whatever like this came through a person, but it came through a person whom He had impressed upon to help, and so you know all of that so I've been on the receiving end of gratitude, and I could tell multiple other stories i 'm sure many of you could too, many of you could too, of how God has blessed you in, in really incredible ways by providing for you when you needed provision. What I know about my own life right now is that um, this is a, a muscle that I need that I'm trying to exercise. This is a muscle that I am. I, I, it's a gift that I want to develop more in my life. I want to be uh, on the giving end of generosity at this point in my life. I want to grow that because not because not only because I've been blessed by generosity throughout my own life, but because it's the life that Christ calls us to. That he calls us to a life of love that is oftentimes acted out through generosity. Oftentimes acted out through generosity. So uh, go ahead and put that main point up there. This is the main point for today. Um, And I just substitute a couple of words from the last one. So we're called to generosity because we're called to show love. We're called, so the reason that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to a life of generosity is not because the church needs more money. That's not why it is. You're called to live a life of generosity because you are called to live a life of love. And your money and your possessions is one of the ways that you show love. One of the ways, not the only way. I'm not saying the only way to show love is through your money, that's not what I'm saying. It's one of the ways that we actually demonstrate love for each other and for our community is by the way that we are generous with our our money and our possessions. And it's really critical that we begin to change our thinking around money and possessions because the American way of looking at money and possession is just accumulate as much as you can as much, you know, build up your bank account, your savings account, your retirement account, build it up as high and large as you possibly can, gather as many toys and as many possessions as you possibly can, and it's all about accumulation, 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 to to the point that the most revolutionary idea of the last few months is this idea of going through your house and releasing things and konmari your house and letting go of things. Why? Because Why is this, and why does this like hit such a hot button with so many people in our nation? It's because we are a people who have accumulated so much stuff. Some of you have accumulated so much stuff that you cannot put your cars in your garage and you have rented other buildings to put the rest of your stuff into. I'm hitting, I'm I'm stepping on some toes this morning. I, I can tell. You've accumulated so much stuff that you, it is piled up in places that you're just paying other people to keep your stuff because you don't have a place for it to go. And once every couple of years, you go visit your stuff. You open up that door and you look in and you're like, "Ah, oh, it's all my stuff. Oh, I love this thing. Close the door. Go back home and park out in the street. <laughs> right? Right, we live these we live these lives where we have we've just accumulated, 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 and some of you are, are maybe you haven't accumulated a lot of stuff, but you've accumulated a lot of wealth. Some of you are sitting here going, "I have accumulated neither," right? And you're like, "I would like this to be my problem." Who are these people that wealth and stuff is their problem, right? But but we, here's the deal: is that wealth is is it's all, it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective the fact of the matter is that those of you who live in this area of this country are among the wealthiest people in the world. You may not feel like you're wealthy compared to your neighbors or your co-workers or your other family members, but you are among the wealthiest people in the world. And it's all a matter of perspective. And when we begin to live in a sense of gratitude for what we have and instead of a kind of coveting what we don't have, it's a game changer. It really begins to change our perspective. You begin to realize that you don't need all the things that you think you need. And on top of that, like, what if we began to view all that money, all all those possessions that we have as just something God has given us to hold on to until he calls it back again? What what if it's just yours to hold on to until God impresses upon you someone who's in need and calls you to share it? Um, this is the life that I really, really I want this to become second nature to me. And I'm going to confess to you that it's not qu- I'm not quite there. I'm, I'm I'm further along than I used to be, but I'm not quite there as in terms of it just becoming second nature. Some of you. Are the most generous spirits in the world, and to give up what you have is it just comes naturally to you. I mean, your, your possessions, your money just flows like water through your fingers in a good way. In a good way, like you're, you're, you just, you're just willing to give it up. You see somebody in need, and you're moved to compassion, and you can't not hold on to what you have, you have to share, right? And that's a, that's a good thing. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, man, I'm trying. I'm trying to give God and the Holy Spirit the permission to, to transform my heart to where I begin to look more like that. And again, I'm further down the road than I used to be. I'm getting better at this. And it looks like a lot of different things. I, it's such a weird uh, time in history for our country because uh, we as a people are are making more money than any generation before us has ever made. And we also feel more strapped than any generation before us probably has. Um, we, we, there's, this, there's this very real sense of I'm making all this money and I'm still living paycheck to paycheck by the vast majority of people in our nation and probably the majority of us sitting in this room. And so it is, again, fixing that perspective in your head of, of what the world kind of holds up as their idea of comfort or wealth and what the reality is for us. And, and, and you guys know as well as I do, for some of us, you know, especially like my generation and later, um, a lot of our issues, is, it's kind of um, self-inflicted. You know, we left our parents' house and decided we needed to start our lives exactly where they had ended, right? Uh, we would not build up to where they were. Uh, instead, we needed to start right exactly where they were. So we financed and indebted ourselves into the standard of living that we were used to maybe at, at, at their home, just so we could start where they are, and, and, it's, and then it just, it just snowballs and gets unwieldy. And for many of you, you you have a heart of generosity. You would love to be a more generous person, but you look at your monthly budget and you're like, I don't even see how it's possible for me to be generous. Like, I'm still the guy or the gal in need of some generosity, right? How is it possible for me to be more generous when I can't hardly maintain the lifestyle I'm trying to maintain? And part of it might be in that. Part of it might be that, You're living outside of your means, and you need to adjust your lifestyle. This is not going to be a big budgeting sermon or anything like that, but what I'm trying to get you to do is is set up, I'm trying to plant some seeds for you to think about this week in terms of looking at your life and taking an inventory and, and actually assessing what in my life do I actually need? What could I do to free up some of what God has blessed me with so that I can be generous to others? Why? Because this is what love does. Love puts the needs of others before the needs of self. Love, you know, we have a saying around here that we, at Living Hope, we we give up things we love for things we love even more. So I'm going to give up things I love, things I would like to have or or whatever because I love God even more and I love the life that he's called me to. But to live that life requires sacrifice. It does. It does. It absolutely does. If you think it doesn't require sacrifice to live life for God, then you've been sold a bill of goods. To live life for Christ requires sacrifice. I'm not saying you sacrifice your way into heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus and live the life of love that he's called us to requires you to sacrifice the way maybe you want to do relationships or the way you want to do finances or the way you want to do career or the way you want to do family. We sacrifice our agenda and we embrace the agenda that Christ has set for us. So it requires that. So what is it that... Let me just throw out a couple of ways and then I'm going to get... Go, go ahead and go back to that uh, scripture, Amy. Thank you. So throw out a couple of ways that um, uh, that just some ideas, okay? This is not me prescribing anything for you, just some ideas. And this is what I want to challenge all of us to do in this room. I want to challenge you to leave here today and don't, as soon as the amen is said, don't just like click that out and file that away somewhere, but begin to think through this topic this week and ask and pray to the Lord, how would you have me be more generous this week? This week. Let's put this into application. This is the challenge for this week. How can we put this call to love through generosity into action this week? So, so here's a couple of ideas. One idea is this: um, just be on the lookout for somebody in need. Be on the lookout for somebody in need, and it may not. Maybe it's not the homeless guy on the corner. Maybe that's not that's not the kind of lookout I'm talking about. Although that might be the the, the, the situation for you, but it could just be this. A lot of times. Um, it's just when I'm all by myself and I've got no people in front of my face, maybe I'm still laying in bed before I go to sleep or after I wake up or in the middle of the night when I wake up or whatever, and God has placed a name in my mind. And I'm like, why is that person on my mind? Why is that person on my mind? And this week, would you just entertain, if that happens to you this week, just entertain the idea that maybe he's placed that person on your mind because he wants you to bless them in some way. he wants you to show some generosity towards them in some way. It could be an anonymous financial gift. It could be that you're aware of of some physical thing, some stuff thing that you know that they're in need of, that you have, that you could share with them, whatever. But but entertain the idea that those names that God puts on our hearts and in our heads, maybe he's doing it because this week he wants you to bless them. Another, Another way that you could start to show generosity. Our church tries to be... Uh, a, a church that is generous to this community, generous to needy people around the world. We we try to look for opportunities to serve people and and uh, meet the needs of people just like this church in Thessalonica used to do to the churches around it and the the communities around it. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is through your regular, faithful giving to this church. It doesn't just. I, I, you know, one one of my pet peeves is is uh, you know this idea that you give to the church so we can keep the lights on. That that's one of the things that gets paid around here. Yes, but we're not asking you to give so we can pay the electric bill. That's not like if that's our whole vision for giving, then what a weak pathetic vision for giving, right? Yes, we will continue to pay the electric bill. <laughs> But that's not why we ask for your generosity. We ask for your generosity because Scripture asks for your generosity and because when we as a church can collectively come together, we can do more for our world than we could individually. We can love our world better together than we could in some ways individually. And so, if you're not a regular faithful giver to Living Hope Church, then pray about that this week. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I'm just going to ask you to just pray about it. Just pray, God, would you be having me to step up in some sort of regular, faithful way to give to this church that I love that I haven't before in, you know, in the past? Just, just, just pray about that, see what happens. The third way is this. I think one of the most beautiful ways you can financially bless a person is if you have somebody in your life that owes you, that is indebted to you, would you just pray this week about possibly forgiving that debt? Would you pray this week about, God, would you have me to bless this person just by going, I'm going to forgive that debt. You don't owe me anymore. We're square. We're square. For some of you, this might be tied to an issue of bitterness in your life where somebody is not being faithful to pay you what they owe you, and you have let that build up and fester in your life, and it's caused a little bitterness. It's caused a little bit of attitude on your part. And maybe one of the most healthy things you could do for your own spirit is just to forgive that debt, to just let it go. I know some of you are sitting there going, oh, you don't know this person that I'm thinking of. I need to teach them a lesson. I, I got, I got, I, if, if I don't hold their feet to the fire on this, then I, they're just going to think they can get over in life or whatever. I'm just saying entertain for the, poss- the possibility that maybe this week God is calling you to just to forgive that debt and just bless that person that way. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying definitely. I'm just saying pray about it. Pray about it. But my point in all this is just this. Whether it's those three ideas or three ideas you come up with on your own, I don't really care. But begin to pray this week as we leave this building today. Go out and pray to the Lord. God, grow my heart of generosity. Show me people who are in need that you are calling me to bless. and Give me the heart and the means to do that. Give me the heart and the means to do that. We're just called to love through our money. We are. It's not the only way we're called to love. It's just one of the ways, but we are called to love through the way that we are generous with our money and with our possessions. Now look down at this a little bit further where he says, talking about that generosity, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And then he says this, and to aspire to live lives. Let me look down here. Aspire to live quietly. Quietly to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, to aspire to live quietly. Now, this is a very un-American idea, living quietly. Uh, we tend to live loud. We tend to live big. Um, but what would it look like us, for us to embrace quiet lives? And I, when, I, when I read that, the way I read it, and this is just me, maybe you read it a different way, I kind of interpret that like no drama lives. Like I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let go of drama. I'm not gonna be a person of drama in my life, uh, or in the lives of my friends and in my family, or whatever. I'm gonna be. am not gonna be easily offended and just outraged about every little thing. I'm not gonna be. I'm just. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna quiet it down. I'm gonna live peaceably amongst my family and amongst my friends. I'm. I'm gonna do that. And then kind of hand in hand with that one is the mind your own affairs, which is New Testament language for mind your own beeswax, right? Mind your own business. Like why are you up in everybody else's business? Like this is one of the biggest complaints about Christians in our in our nation today. It's like why are the world around the church is looking at the church going, "Why are you so concerned with all my business?" Why are you trying to change my life and get up in my business and dictate the way I live my life? And even Paul says, don't do that. He's like, why, why are you so concerned with people outside the church and the way that they're living their lives and whatever? He's like, he's like focus on you know, the, the sin in your own house. Focus on the sin in your own church. Let God worry about what's going on outside in the world. You know, your job to the world is to, to love them well and to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite them into the family. Other than that, just like mind your own business. And we need, to be, we need to become a church, become a people who understand the beautiful gift that we give our community by minding our own business. How beautiful a gift it is we give to the, our community around us by being a church that's not constantly trying to control their lives. Instead, we just live peaceably. Now, there are times when we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to stand up and to speak out. There are times that, that the Holy—and it's not every time, by the way— but there are times when the Holy Spirit impresses upon us as individuals the need to speak out for people who don't have a voice, for people who are being mistreated, to sacrifice our own comfort and our own peace on behalf of those people who are not experiencing them, themselves. There are times we're called to that, but by and large, we're called to be a people living peaceably with each other, minding our own business. And then he has, has this beautiful phrase right here at the end where he says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And this is Paul's really subtle way of saying the church is not a place for freeloaders. It's not a place for freeloaders. We need to become, and, and this is a quality that our nation is, is losing, unfortunately, but we need to kind of become again a people who understand the honor and the value of hard work. That there, I, I am... I don't want to oversimplify this. I think there are a lot of problems that people experience today in their personal lives that stem from they feel no sense of honor or pride because they are just freeloading. Just freeloading. They're just sponging off of everyone around them. And I'm telling you that if you're living your life that way, you will feel no peace inside you'll feel no peace. Now, I'm not saying work is the path to peace, but it's part of the path. It's definitely part of the path. And we need to be a people who will not stoop to the level of just going, I'm going to coast through on what everybody else is going to give me, and I'm not going to work. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. I'm just going to love Jesus. Gonna love, Like we got this kind of you know, hippy-dippy mentality of, ah, it just, just needs just, to be me and Jesus. And I just need all of you to support that. Right? Like, no, 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 get to work. Get to work. And what, what, we've, what, what many of us have, have lost is this idea that the beautiful gift that work is to you. I guarantee you, I don't, I don't even have anybody in mind, but I, there's probably at least a few people in this room right now that wish they could work and are unable to. Wish they could. And the beautiful gift of work that God gives to you and how not only does it set, as he just talks about, does it set this example for the world around us to go, wow, these people are hard workers. They contribute to this society. They're beneficial to this society. Not only does it do that, but the other thing that it does is that it, um, when you Give yourself to the cause of work. You are embracing a mission field that God has given you. Some of you look at your workplaces as just this kind of dreary, horrible thing that you have to go through for the sake of, you know, paying your bills or whatever else. And one of the best things that you could do would be to change your mind around work and begin to see your workplace as your mission field. That God has placed you there on purpose for a reason. He has you there to because He has put you as a light in a dark place to lift that workplace up, to show the gospel to people around you. You're like, yeah, but there's laws. You know, I, I can't. Yeah, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Break the law and tell people about Jesus, please. Please just tell people about Jesus. We'll visit you in jail. We'll bring you stuff. (laughs) We will. We won't forget about you. You know, you're not going to get sent to jail. You're not going to get sent to jail over this. We live in America, right? Now you might think, well, that's changing. Maybe, but not yet. So in the meantime, tell people about Jesus. Open up your mouth and just begin to share, like, like Paul talks about, the hope that you have inside of you. It doesn't have to be rude. It doesn't have to be condemning or judgmental. It, it should be filled with joy and filled with love so that when people begin to ask, why you have joy when you shouldn't have joy? Why are you showing love to people who are unlovely? And you go, because Jesus. It's because Jesus. And you begin, that begins, like your faith begins to leak out of you in really instrumental ways in the place that you work It And that workplace becomes your mission field. It's nothing more beautiful than God getting a hold of a workplace, and before long, where one person was coming to church from a workplace, now, like, the whole crew is coming to church. Why? Because the gospel took fire in that place, and it did something really amazing. But this only happens if you get out of your basement. This only happens if you get off your mom's couch and get to work. Like, get out there and do something. Some of you are... Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing when he says there at the end uh, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one okay so now there's kind of a dichotomy there where it's like he's saying be dependent on no one but then there's also this idea of gratitude and helping out others but somebody's going to be on got to be on the receiving end of that help so how does that all fit together and the idea is this that we should not live lives in dependence in financial dependence necessarily of each other. Instead, we should be hard workers. However, we will all at some point in our life go through a season, a short season where you are dependent on someone to get through, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about the church. We don't let each other fall. We don't let each other fail, and we'll be there for you. But, but what was happening oftentimes in this, in, in, this, in this early church is that people were taking advantage of this generosity. And they were kind of sponging off of people to the point that at one point, Paul even talks to young widows. And he's like, Those of you who are young widows, you're still young. Go get a job. <laughs> I love Paul. <laughs> I love Paul. He's like, he's like Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's not. He's like, Yes, you're a widow. We get that. Your husband died, and, and we're with you. We'll support you, all that kind of stuff. But you're still young. You, there's no reason for you to just sit at home. And just depend on other people for your help. Go live the life that God has called you to live. Go do that. Those of you who are older widows, that's different. We'll, we'll be there for you. We'll take care of you. If you're unable to take care of yourself, we'll do that for you. But he lifts up this principle, this idea of work, and it's work, it's living work on mission. And we've got to get away from that idea that the only person who is actually living life on mission in their workplace is the pastor. That's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. God has called each and every one of you who are engaged in work today to a mission field and you've been overlooking it. Some of you have been praying, God, give me a sense of purpose and a sense of mission in my life. God, just show me my purpose for my life and you're clocking in every single day on your mission field and you're totally missing it. You're totally missing it. God is like, wake up, see the mission field that I've set before you and go and lift that place up. The value hard work. Some of you, uh, and, and I'm not, again, I, I'm not trying to paint with too broad a stroke here, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing the idea of depression or anything. I get that that's a very real thing, and, and, it, and it comes from a lot of different circumstances. Some of you, not all, not even close to all, some of you are experiencing a, a lack of self-worth and a sense of depression, and the cure for it is hard work the cure for it. Not all of you, not all of you, but some of you, some of you. Lift that up as something to be desired. Teach your kids the value of hard work. Teach them. And when we do this, there's this weird thing that happens. It's it's just one more way. Us minding our own business, living peaceable lives, working hard, not being dependent and sponging off of everybody around us. It's another really practical but beautiful way that we love each other and that we love this community. You want to show love for this community? Show them the value you are by not being so drama-filled, by not being in everybody else's business, by not sponging off of everybody. Just keep your head down work for the Lord, and just allow Him to give you the opportunities to speak up and to reach into people's lives in really tangible, generous, beautiful ways. These are the lives that we're called to. Beautiful. It's a life worth embracing. It's an ethic that is, does not come natural to the people in our country anymore. And I think this is one more way that we can be a light in the darkness. Some of you are like, I don't know how to be a light because I don't know the words to say. You know how to work and like do a really good job working? Like be a really, really trustworthy, great employee? That is light in darkness if you can do that. It is light in darkness when you can do that. So embrace that. Embrace it. And then allow God to open doors for conversations in that mission field that he's called you to. Amen? Let's do that. Let's do that. Pray with me pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for giving us these really beautiful, practical ways to live out the kind of love that you've shared with us. We thank you that you were not a God who came to this earth and just sponged off of everybody around you and just laid back and wanted people to serve you and to meet all your needs. But God, Jesus, you showed us the example of hard work, that when you were on your in your years of ministry, you... Hustled every day to get your word and your gospel out to people who needed it, and you were active in people's lives, changing them. God, you help us. Thank you so much for the jobs that you've given us, the way that you have provided for us. God, help us to turn those incomes into opportunities to spread your gospel, to, into opportunities to be generous with each other and with our community. God, help us to desire a peaceful life with each other and with our neighbors. And as we try to live lives that are quiet and peaceable and generous, God, I pray that you would open gospel doors for us to really and truly share in meaningful ways the hope that lives within us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. All right. Everybody have a great week.